It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, there's another hat-trick in the Champions League for Real Madrid's Karim Benzema at the expense of Chelsea. What's going wrong for them? Meanwhile, there are wins for both Manchester City against a stubborn Atletico Madrid and Liverpool, who went to Benfica and won. We'll also talk about the bottom of the Premier League after a huge win for Burnley. But what does that mean for Everton's chances of staying up? This is The Game. Hello again, welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wilsoncroft, joined by Jonathan Northcroft and Ian Hawkey in this episode to reflect on what has been so far a fantastic week of football with more to come as well. But we'll start at Stamford Bridge where Karim Benzema became the fourth player to score back-to-back Champions League hat-tricks as Real Madrid beat holders Chelsea 3-1 in the quarterfinal first leg. I think, Johnny, we should just revel in the warm waters of two of the best headers you will ever see. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's something there's something special about a header. I don't know what it is, whether it's a, it's a kind of primal football watcher, macho thing, I don't know. But it, it stirs the blood, doesn't it, in, in, in a way that, I don't know, maybe only a volley into the top corner that crashes off the crossbar does. Um, and those two headers were just things of beauty. You know, the first one was... It's just you know you don't you don't you don't often see somebody take a ball without breaking stride on the full on the forehead and 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 put it in the top corner in that way and it's great movement and, and involvement in the build up by Benzema as well and then the second was just the cleverest sort of uh, canniest header of an experienced goal scorer he got his angle so right that he just almost caressed it and 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 knew he knew it was going in before anyone else did and it was just a, it was just watching as as was Benzema's performance in the PSG game it was watching a craftsman absolutely at the top of his his craft and somebody that you, you just marvel in because you know obviously he's 34 i'm not the first to say this but he he appears to be getting even better at that advanced age and because of his history of being the the, 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 the the player who always sort of served the other Galacticos, finally getting the chance to get the credit that's due to him. There's a lot to celebrate in, in, in watching Benzema. A guy that can bring two performances like that back-to-back is a, is a true champion. Yeah, I think it was an absolutely sensational performance from Benzema, leading from the front, could have had another as well. I wonder about the performance, Ian, uh, do you think the Madrid fans will be surprised by the result going away to Chelsea? Uh, yes, a little bit because of what happened in the semi-final last season, and because there's there's a sort of general, I wouldn't say an inferiority complex, but a general sense that the Premier League juggernaut is, you know, is is so much better resourced at the moment than than anywhere else, and and that um, you know, the, certainly the top two clubs look look uncatchable, and you know Chelsea were are the reigning champions. So yeah, I think there will be some surprise. And remember, you know, it's a, it's barely a fortnight ago that 
Madrid were beaten four 0 at home by Barcelona, which you know that's that's quite a that's quite a heavy thing to have to take on. Um, so yeah, uh, pleasantly surprised. I mean, not surprised by Benzema's excellence. The, the other factor I think probably is that, that Ancelotti is not a, not at his peak popularity at the moment, partly because of the Barcelona defeat. But I think he, you know, he's redeemed a lot of credit last night because, you know, he put out exactly the right team and in exactly the the right frame of mind. I think so. I think. Look, after the back of PSG, I think it was quite fortunate in a way that they came through that game. Um, you could say they got slices of luck yesterday, but I think the first half in particular, they were excellent. I was amazed, Johnny, by... I mean, it was so un-Chelsea-like, the space that Real Madrid were given for those goals. I mean, it felt like a training game, just straight balls through the midfield into the final third... Delivery into the box under no pressure. Yes, the finishes were brilliant, but something wasn't quite right about the the Chelsea approach. I was surprised too, and it made me think back to what the Chelsea were like a year ago in the first flush of of Tuchel. And you know, the thing that struck you straight away about his management was how well he controlled space, um, how cleverly organised his teams were positionally. Um, and if you remember, you know they, they went through that spell in his first couple of months where they they were weren't winning that many games, but they were they, they weren't hardly conceding goals. It was nil nils, one nils, and that was his base. And, and and that's unraveled. There's no doubt about it. I think it, 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 it might be easy to look at the defenders in midfield, but for me yesterday the problem started further up, where they got so little out of Pulisic and Mason Mount in those forward areas that they weren't able to cover or press in any way. And then an aging as Pilaqueta, who Valverde with his energy just kept running him the wrong way. Um, Reese James, not, not, not 100% fit. So I felt there were problems with that kind of ability to, to kind of hold, hold the opposition by pressing them higher up uh, and, and contain them wide. And then that just meant that Kante and Jorginho were, were overrun. <laughs> And um, got to have a shout out for Vinicius Junior, who who tortured Christensen too. And and it was also a game where Thiago looked his age for once. Mendy lost has clearly lost confidence, and even Rudiger was wasn't performing with his his normal kind of edge. So it, it looked like a team where there's a there's a malaise or there's a there's a loss of confidence or loss of uh, focus or purpose where you start to see like a contagion, you know, sort of doubt spreading through different players and very unlike the Chelsea we've been used to under Thomas Tuchel. But you could tell from his reaction how fundamentally bad he thought the game had been from Chelsea's point of view and how le- how much it left him, him worried as a coach. Yeah, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but Ian, I want your views on it. Someone that sees Real Madrid more often than us, of course, is the tie all but over at this stage? No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say that. But um, but then again, you know, I, I, you you go back to that sort of bank of trust that that Johnny was talking about in in Thomas Tuchel and in that Chelsea team. You know, we'll we'll know a bit. We'll be a bit wiser after the weekend how you know how deep the malaise is. The Bernabeu, you know, will be noisy um, and not to capacity, but but you know that that means it'll be very different from last season where they were playing in the training ground and there were no spectators. So uh, you, you know you would you would you would back 
Madrid to score at home. So Chelsea would have to do something, something comparable to what Real Madrid did against PSG, obviously to turn it around. Um, so I certainly wouldn't wouldn't bet on it. But but um, it, I think they'll, they'll be missing uh, Edo Militao from from the defence. So you know that on paper they'll be slightly weaker than they were last night. Thomas Tuchel's reaction then, because I asked the question about the tie being possibly over. Uh, Thomas Tuchel says, I will make sure that everybody processes this because this is absolutely the most important thing now. Because if we keep on playing like that, we will lose to Southampton this weekend. And then we don't need to think about the Bernabeu because we will get hammered in the Bernabeu. How big are those concerns, Johnny, for Chelsea at the moment about their play? I know you mentioned this specific game, of course, beaten 4-1 by Brentford as well. I mean, something is happening since the international break, clearly. Yes, and it's a funny one because I, I spoke to Mason Mount during the international break and, and he did a group interview with a Sunday journalist and, and the tenor of that interview when it came to Chelsea was very much how the, the, the off-field situation had galvanised them, the mental strength they'd shown. They were in, in the middle of a six-game winning streak. You know, this 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 shows how good we are as a group, blah, blah, blah. And that just that just seems to have unravelled very very fast. I just I wonder actually if when you really look at it, take a step back, they weren't playing that well during the the, the unbeaten run and it did contain a couple of kind of easier games in, in, in cup competitions. And and this this sort of smoothness, the fundamentals of Chelsea haven't haven't really been there for a couple of months now. I think it's an interesting fork in the road because Tuchel showed visible anger and, and disgust with his players' performance. And, and we know there's a his, certain history at Chelsea where managers who don't make nice with the dressing room don't end up coming off too well in the end. It's not a club that sort of gets its head down and, and shows patience during a crisis at all sorts of levels. So this is an interesting point for, for Tuchel. And I just wonder... You know, against Brentford, they were very open as well and lost goals very easily, easily counter-attacked. So it was a similar thing. And I just wonder with the, the form of, of Tottenham and with Arsenal in their position, whether that was in, in Tuchel's mind that, that you know, there's now a, a, a sort of growing angst that they might get they might get caught in the league. I mean, that, that would represent some crisis and some collapse for Chelsea if that was the case. But... He's right. If they play like, you know, those back-to-back performances were so bad, play like that again, you'll get beaten in, in, in almost any Premier League game and, he, and they can forget about the, the second leg. Let's talk about Romelu Lukaku then. I, I think a lot of people are talking about him today because he had a couple of very good chances and he didn't score. And it's not the Romelu Lukaku that I think the £97.5 million pound price tag uh, suggests he should have been. He just has struggled in this first season. I mean, the, the fact that he's on the bench for a game of this magnitude, I mean, that's the opposite of the reason he was brought back to the club, to be perfectly honest. And Kai Havertz has been an able deputy in the past few weeks, certainly, and he scored last night. But I, I do have to ask, how big is the Lukaku issue for for Chelsea? Because these were the games that he was meant to win for them, wasn't it? Um, yes, I mean, you, we would... We were talking very lyrically about Benzema's headers, and you know there was an unfortunate contrast, wasn't there, with Lukaku's headed chance uh, later on. Um, there's there, there is a wider thing with Chelsea now. You know there is there is the institutional issue, and everybody from 
Romelu Lukaku to the several players who are out of contract in the summer will have spent some of their time away on international break talking about the future of Chelsea. It's inevitable. You know, Tuchel will be will be well aware of that. Yeah, I mean, Lukaku hasn't worked for Chelsea. And if there is any instinct from whoever ends up being in charge of the club by the summer to, you know, be radical about assets and so on, um, you know, he's, he's going to be under huge scrutiny and it, and it will be different than it might have been had, had Roman Abramovich stayed in charge. Um, and, you know, he's not getting any younger either. He's going to, he's going to ask himself, is this the same club that I, I was enthusiastic to, or, well, relatively enthusiastic to come back to uh, last summer, or is it a completely different institution now? It, yeah, it, 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 he, he cannot help but feel very uncertain about his status, and it, it hasn't worked out for, for Chelsea. Johnny, what do you think about Lukaku? I always find it, I mean, look, we've done it before. I've done it many times, so I'm guilty of it. You know, players who haven't started a game, who weren't a massive part of the performance, being the ones that, that get singled out. But like I said, you know, we, we did expect more from Lukaku. It's getting to the point now where you wonder if he will be a Chelsea player beyond this summer. If they can get a tune out of him before then, he could be massive, massive for them. It could be, but I, I tell you what, I don't think he'll be a Thomas Tuchel player. I don't think that, that, that much is clear. He just doesn't fit with what Tuchel wants. He's too long in the tooth to become a different footballer. And why should he, from his point of view? He scores lots of goals playing in this conventional way. And it, there's a sort of strange echo, in a way, of the of the Donny van der Beek United situation where you, you're watching a player doing the things he's been schooled to do pretty much what he's done successfully at previous clubs and it just isn't appropriate or it's not it's not what the, the manager wants him to do and I think the fault relies in, lies in the recruitment but the surprising aspect for that in, in that and this is where it, it probably reflects badly on Tuchel politically at Chelsea is that my understanding is he was pretty keen on the recruitment of Lukaku he was one of the he was on a short list of three or four strikers with Haaland and Lewandowski and Kane that um, that Tuchel sort of put in front of Chelsea in terms of recruiting number nine. So the reality of having Lukaku hasn't been what what, what Tuchel thought thought he was. But I think it's it's a difficult situation for them longer term. In fact, I can't see if Tuchel stays. I can't see Lukaku staying. But you're in, it's what what you raise is interesting you in the short term. Do they just put him in and try and play a little bit differently? And now Rhys James is back go for more crosses into the box and use Havertz maybe as a, as a kind of number 10 to, to support him. It would be the kind of thing that you would do to win a one-off game, I think. And that might be an option for the second leg. But I would be my instinct is it won't happen because Tuchel's not that type of... I think Matt Ancelotti would do it. He's a pragmatic coach who would change for an individual game. I think Tuchel's a process coach who will try and solve this by, you know making plan A, going back to plan A and making it even better. So an uneasy marriage, a strange one, and Lukaku back in Italy next season would be my bet. Oh, really? Oh, really? We'll talk about it in summer, I'm sure, but I've got a feeling Tottenham Hotspur, Antonio Conte and a replacement for Harry Kane might be in the offing. You never, you never know. But anyway, we'll come to that. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. 
terms of the Champions League, before we move back to the English clubs, I did want to reflect on another Spanish winner this week. It finished Villarreal 1, Bayern Munich 0. Arno Danjuma with the goal for the Yellow Submarine. Uh, Bayern well below par in the game. They didn't manage a shot on target until the second half. Afterwards, though, uh, Danjuma called his manager Unai Emery a tactical mastermind. Ian Hawkey, is he? Uh, yes, absolutely he is. Uh, you know, the record says so. We didn't see it as much as anticipated at Arsenal. But uh, yeah, he's, you know, he is an obsessive, um, an excellent planner and raises the level of the majority of players he works with. So, you know, that's that's quite a lot of ticked boxes in the in the in the mastermind criteria. And Villarreal, you know, they, they were they were really effective last night against, as you say, a, a, a slightly chaotic and rather insipid Bayern. But, um, I mean, th- th- there's lovely stories there. Dan Juma is a lovely story, you know, Bournemouth in the Championship a year ago, now scoring the goal, which might just put them in the Champions League semi-final. And, um, you know, really, what the, the, there was a, it was a great night for Spurs old boys. I don't know if anybody picked up on that, but Juan Foyt, who you may remember, was absolutely magnificent um, playing at right back for Villarreal, uh, Giolo Celso was unplayable, and, and and as he always is, as he almost always is for Villarreal, Etienne Capou was was solid, organised, aggressive. Yeah, so a, a, a lovely story. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'd be hugely confident that they're going to maintain that lead in in Munich because Bayern have to be better than they were last night. But uh, yeah, uh, absolute full applause to Unai Emery. It was superb from him once again. And it does raise the question, will Villarreal be that team? I mean, they might already be that team, but the one that really shocks us, really surprises us uh, in the Champions League this season. I mean, it would be certainly if they made the final four. So, Johnny, how confident are we that there'll be a response from the German champions? Can Bayern pull through? Yeah, I suspect they, I suspect they will. Um, but the, the, I think I've read this morning that in the last five times they've, they've lost the first leg of a knockout tie, they haven't gone through, which kind of goes against the, the image of the, the sort of Bayern machine, I suppose. I think they will probably do it because of their firepower and their, their, their know-how. But... Last night added to the sense that they're not quite the Bayern Munich of, of previous years, which I think we've seen sniffs of in the seen sniffs of. <laughs> we've 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 had sniffs of in the <laughs> Bundesliga this year anyway, with some of their some of their results. You know, old older team, young manager, probably a, a bit of a transition period. I think they'll go through, but I think Liverpool are in a great position going into the eyeing that semi-final to, to reach another Champions League final, whoever they play. For me, Ian, there is a defensive issue. I think they've only had two clean sheets in the last maybe 12 games now. And obviously at this level, you, you can get caught out. Uh, yeah, there's clearly a defensive issue. And and people, some people within Bayern would say that this has been brewing for some time. They lost David Alaba in the summer. They said goodbye to Jerome Boateng. There's quite a lot of chopping and changing in the in the personnel and the back four and then and there are these you know startling score lines every so often five goals conceded against Mönchengladbach four against Bochum um, and and and, and Nagelsmann you know Nagelsmann wants a very very high press aggressive team and 
I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I and mean, he's been fairly open about this. I, you know, he's not sure if he's got he's got the back line to to support that at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think Johnny's right. There's a there's a sense of transition about them, um, and and the assumption and in, in the Bundesliga this will always work that that you know there are there are enough excellent goal scorers there to generally dig them out of a hole domestically, but they're not the Bayern of two seasons ago. We'll see. I think that's a really interesting tie for next week, but a great start from Villarreal nonetheless. And we'll see how much of a tactical mastermind Unai Emery is. Um, Still more to look at in the Champions League. We're going to look back at the wins for Manchester City and Liverpool. We'll also discuss the bottom of the Premier League. Stay with us on the game. So elsewhere in the Champions League this week, Manchester City managed to break down a pretty obstinate Atletico Madrid at the Etihad to take a 1-0 lead into the second leg, thanks to Kevin De Bruyne's winner. The Atleti tactics, if you want to call them that, were the most interesting detail to take from the game. I'll be perfectly honest. And Pep Guardiola saying afterwards, we sensed they would play 3-5-2. Then they adjusted and went to a 5-5-0. That's something that in prehistoric times and today is very difficult to attack. Yeah, maybe a bit of a dig there. So I'm going to start with Atletico on this because we know how good Manchester City are. We know Diego Simeone's been there for a long, long time and we've seen his teams, let's be frank, play a lot better despite the fact it was only a one-goal defeat. I just was watching that game, looking at the quality of some of the players that they have and I just really felt sad, to be perfectly honest. Why would Diego Simeone play like a relegation scrapper against Manchester City? And does that actually really help him win ties like this? What do you think, Ian? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it was it was a caricature, wasn't it? It was a caricature of everything. Everything we've been recently led to believe may no longer be true about Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid. I, I mean, even before the game, Pep was, you know, saying that, you know, let's not get stuck into stereotypes about how Atletico Madrid play. And then we had the absolute perfect, exaggerated caricature of, of Simeone's back, backs against the wall strategy. Now, yes, I mean, you're, you're right. Could they, should they be better? I'm not sure if if Simeone would would say actually that was you know that was really good everything worked and it, and and it was it was it was something to behold wasn't it the the level of organization the level of energy the surprisingly accomplished performance of some of the players Felipe for instance the central defender um so uh, yes, but at the same time, you're right. It's the same, and you think you know Joao Felix, the most expensive teenager ever. Did he go to Atletico Madrid to effectively play at left back for ninety minutes of you know the most glamorous Champions League tie of his time so far? Um, yeah, it, it, you know it, Joao Felix should be visible in the opposition half. Clearly, so should Antoine Griezmann. They would say mission almost accomplished. I think having lost one nil. Having lost one one nil in uh, in the away tie, which is obviously slightly different now with the away goals rule not done. Yes, I mean you know they, Manchester City are a scary team to to any opposition. Atletico Madrid were scared; they were scared of a walloping. And Atletico Madrid and several of the players involved will back themselves to do the kind of ambush they achieved at what Anfield two seasons ago. 
in front of their home crowd. I, I don't believe they'll do it, but you know that's 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 the design they have for this tie. But he's failing as a manager then, Diego Simeone. I mean, if you are scared of a walloping, I mean, maybe everyone in world football should be scared of a walloping, but I mean, they were petrified of a walloping. I mean, there was no space given. There was barely a single attack. They had every single one of their players, not just in their own half, but in their own final third, if you know what I mean, defensive third. And it was just, I'm not going to say anti-football because, you know, I'm a fan of tactics, but I don't get what the design was other than, trying to get out of there with a, with a nil-nil, in fact, and one-nil to celebrate losing one-nil. It's like, well, okay. Were you more likely to lose by a goal or not had you been more attacking? That's it. I mean, they, they, they could play a better style of football, maybe win, win the game. They might have drawn it to all. It could have been more entertaining. But ultimately, I don't, I don't think they need to spend that much money on players if that's how they're going to play, to be perfectly honest. I mean... I know they won the league in the Liga last year, but I, I just don't see it. I mean, if I was an Atletico Madrid fan, I know he's given them absolutely everything. So that's the context. Diego Simeone's been great for them. But um, you'd, you'd want a different coach, wouldn't you? If you were an Atletico Madrid fan of, you know, of middle age, um, <laughs> your, your, your choices would be, you know, do we want to go back to the notoriously flaky, inconsistent football that got us relegated, you know, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. Or, you know, do we, do we, do we want to just, do we want to enjoy the siege and, and, you know, win the league? A couple of times every, every decade. It's a difficult choice, but you're absolutely right, Hugh. You know, there, there, we are, it is, it is a branch of the entertainment industry. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure all of us found Tuesday absorbing in many ways. Um, yes, it was, it was, it was, it was ridiculous in some ways too. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of it, Johnny? Yeah, no, I, I, I just enjoying Ian's take there. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, um, well, look, for, first of all, We've got a situation where Manchester United need a new manager, and Diego Simeone has not even been—you know—he's not even been on the long list, and he hasn't been on the long list for Chelsea's job when it came up or Tottenham's job when it came up. And I'm not—you know—he's—I he's, think he's—is he the best-paid coach in the world? I think I, I think he still is or something like Pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, there are reasons why they wouldn't recruit him, but the point is that he's not even being talked about for jobs anymore in this country where five years ago get Simeone was 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 a cry now and then when a, when a big club needed a new manager and it's because as Ian said this is the entertainment business and even more than ever we want a bit of joy and we want a bit of subtlety and fantasy from from the football teams that we watch and there's a certain amusement in watching Atletico Madrid um, the, the players even start to they all start to look like Simeone they've all got the same facial hair now and, and mannerisms I don't know what he's done but you know they, they're becoming more and more Simeone as, as the years roll on and he would say look City had two shots on goal it was 1-0 we can get them in the second leg and he, he might even be right I don't see it happening really but he's certainly given himself a chance if they do that you know that Simeone thing of blitzing City at the start of the game um, big first 10 minutes, they might get a goal. 
if there was a, if the way goals were still in operation, um, you know, you'd, you'd say no. But but yeah, they might they might get a one 0 I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they will. I was actually quite impressed by City, funnily enough, because I, I felt it showed their maturity that they 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 saw Atletico's performance and tactics for what they were. They kept playing. They weren't didn't get involved in any of the the histrionics and the nonsense. Um, and they crafted a goal in the end and on a tough night and, and I think will just back themselves to be able to exploit Atletico as as they come out in the second leg as they're going to have to do at some point. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm glad I don't watch that every week with Atletico. It, it, it's amusing to see it on our screens in the Champions League, you know, once, once every now and then. Would I fancy it every week? Not at all. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, enough hammering of Diego Simeone, though, Atletico fans, because in many ways, Manchester City, although not able to do so in that game, are the opposite. Um, when they play at their absolute best, they're incredible to watch. And to be honest, I'll, I'll give credit to Simeone for stopping them from being at their brilliant best. But it was a moment of brilliance, I think, from Phil Foden in, in setting up the goal for Kevin De Bruyne, who finished beautifully. That was the difference. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Phil Foden because he, he's a player that has started um, for Manchester City in a number of games, in particular this season as a false nine, although he can do a job there. I'm not sure it's absolutely his best position, but on the half turn, on the edge of the box, he can do damage. And, and I wonder, Johnny, whether you think Phil Foden can come of age more you know, I think, you know, you look at the England team as well. And, and the reason that he's not a regular starter for England, I think, is that he just doesn't have a nailed down position. No. Is he coming of age? Is he beginning to really mature as a footballer? And, and will he settle somewhere on the pitch? I think he is. It's been a slow burn with Foden because he's been the prodigy for, for so long. But he is only 21. And he is continuing to grow in influence at a time when, you know, I, I don't know, you, you look at, Comparable players, Saka, Mount, guys in the same position. They're, they're still a bit up and down, whereas I don't see that with Foden. I just see him getting better and better and more and more important, slowly. And um, watching that game, he was the one you thought they need to get Foden on the pitch. Not Grealish, you know, not, not Jesus. You thought they need to get Foden on, he'll do something. And and he did. And I, I, I love the, the awareness that, 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 that led to that goal. You know, it was his first touches of the ball, but the way he just, it, where nobody else had been able to, found himself the pocket of space. And I think, they, you know, Rio Ferdinand was counting him, scanning, I think, eight times before he received the ball as he was waiting to get it from Rodri. Knew exactly where everything was, and, and that little pass through to De Bruyne was... That, that's special. That's, that, that's, that's, that's his sort of superpower. It's, 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 it's the, he's technically flawless, and he's got an incredible vision of the game and ability to play the ball quickly and play the ball positively, you know, penetratingly. And it, it, it's, it makes him such a perfect, perfect modern player. Where he operates is a different thing. That's, 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 a, that's still, I think, and it, I, you're right, Hugh, that's why he's not starting all the time for England because I'm not sure where Gareth knows exactly what to do with him. And outside of that city system where you, the positions maybe don't matter quite so much, that's that's a question. All you could say is you want him in an attacking area, but not with his back to goal. So whether that means, depending on what your team's doing, whether that means he's on he's wide but coming inside, or he's in midfield and attacking, 
I, I think he's the best he's played for England has probably been when he's been in those central positions. A really brave call would be to have Bellingham and Foden as your two attacking midfielders. But I don't, I don't see Gareth actually doing that because he's a bit more conservative than that. It would be a brave, yeah, very brave decision, I think. But two uh, fantastic players for the, for England's future. And who knows, they're now in 2022 if their form stays as good as it has been. Johnny, I'm going to ask a question a little bit later on about the Premier League and Manchester City. But I, I do want to ask the same one about the Champions League. Is it a failure for Manchester City if they don't win the Champions League this year? <laughs> it's, a, it's the eternal question about Guardiola, isn't it? No, I mean, look, no, not this year. Because look, Liverpool are unbelievable. They might get beaten by Liverpool in the final. And, and actually, Real Madrid are rather good. So is it ever a failure not to win the Champions League in a specific year? No. But is it a, would it be a failure to not win it with this golden team during Guardiola's time? Yes, I guess is the best way to put it. So they, they, they have to, you know, they, unless they win it on, in his time, there'll be a sense that they didn't maximise what they were capable of. But this year, you know, Liverpool have got a good draw. If they got beat by Liverpool in the final, anyone getting beaten by that Liverpool team, I'm not, I wouldn't say they've, they've failed. Oh, I think I would, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I think I would, only because they have had so many head-to-heads that I think a group of players as talented as Manchester City have and, and a coach as good as Pep Guardiola, I know the competition is is elite and as good as it gets, um, but you've got to find a way. You've got to find a way. It's, I can understand if they rarely played, but they've gone head-to-head in so many big games and Manchester City and Jurgen Klopp have found a way against Manchester City, largely as the underdog during the early part of of this 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 rivalry, if you like. Um, he's he's found a way, and he stayed there. And he, I, I think most people would say Liverpool a lot of the times have the edge over Manchester City, um, particularly in. Uh, it's a weird way of describing it, but Liverpool Liverpool tend to bring an element of chaos during a short period of time that Manchester City can't deal with. with it. They just, they're all over them. The press is, is just working. They're getting shots away and their defenders and they're they just, you know, they're looking around a little bit shell-shocked. And it's all a bit nice and neat when Manchester City do so. And I know they played a great game earlier on uh, this season, Manchester City against Liverpool. And that had that maybe that element of, of, of chaos to it. But I just, I don't know. I just don't see that Manchester City have yet found a solution to all the problems that Liverpool can cause them. And if they don't, even if it is in a Champions League final, yeah, it's a failure. I'm going to say it, Manchester City fans, it's a failure. In the build-up to the game, there is one thing that I wanted to talk about because I do like the jousting between the the managers and and the media. It's been quite good over the last couple of weeks. Pep Guardiola asking about his perceived overthinking in these Champions League games. He said it would always be boring if I played the same way, if people think I'll play the same against Atletico and Liverpool, I don't like. He said yes, sarcastically. Uh, In the Champions League, I always overthink. Do you guys think that he ever overthinks things? I I think there's sometimes a danger of overthinking the subject of overthinking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not not, Hugh, you would never do that. But um, if the overthinking issue is competition specific for Pep, which perhaps it isn't. Um, you know, there is there is quite a long history. I don't, I don't think um, I don't think he overthought Atletico Madrid because as it turned out there was there wasn't there was a very, very simple thing to think about, something, you know, that you know, how to get how to get past this prehistoric 
tactical arrangement as he and you know he, he did made exactly the right substitution didn't he? Uh, I, I I don't think I, I, I think the approach to Liverpool will be I don't think there'll be there'll be massive uh, surprises in that and and clearly it will be a much more open game. Um, what 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 I I would be surprised if it is as um, chaotic as you put it as as uh, as the two old or earlier in the season. I think you know the the stakes are so the high stakes are so immediate now for both teams that I think it'll be it'll be an City will make it an exercise in control as far as they can and and I think they'll probably do that quite effectively. Even though he's won two Champions Leagues, though Ian has he underperformed? In the Champions League, uh, absolutely. Compared with his status over over what is it, uh, 15, 14 mm. seasons now? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's won more Champions Leagues than he has. He's won the same number of Champions Leagues as Jose Mourinho. I'm sure doesn't sit that well with Pep Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So he has underwhelmed, which feeds into the element that it would be a failure if Manchester City uh, didn't win the Champions League. That's where I was taking you guys, and I won. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> success on the game podcast. I had to go roundabout, but I got there in the end. Listen, let's talk about Liverpool in a little bit more detail then, and that game at the weekend, because look, I think it was pretty comfortable for Liverpool in the Champions League this week. They went uh, to Lisbon, they beat Benfica by three goals to one afterwards, Jurgen Klopp saying uh, his side should have scored more. And I think he was right. They are heavy favourites to go through uh, with an Anfield leg, of course, to come. So let's look ahead to that huge game in the Premier League. In fact, the biggest game of the season, no less, uh, between Manchester City and Liverpool. City with a one-point lead ahead of their northwest rivals, ahead of the game, which is at the Etihad. Who are the favourites for this game, Johnny? What do you think? It's hard, I think there's a there's a kind of groundswell idea that Liverpool are coming into this as slight favourites because they've been on such an incredible run. And and things are really fighting for them. Even though Salah's had a quiet few games, you know, it's clear it's such a superbly constructed squad when you've you've got Diaz and, and Jota and, and, and Mane and Firmino picking up that slack. There's, there's there are no issues there. The th- the hesitancy I've got is is just the the, the how good City have been in this fixture at the Etihad. Liverpool have only won one um, in 12, you know, going back to the beginning of the Abu Dhabi ownership in this in, in this fixture. And it was a weird game. It was Klopp's first one. Uh, I think it was, it, it was a sort of 4-1 match, sort of chaotic game. So he hasn't really won one. I think he hasn't won one against Guardiola. It's been a different match when it's been played at the Etihad. I'm forgetting, of course, the Champions League 2-1 in 2018, but that was, you know, that, that was within the specifics of that tie. So I'm just talking about league matches and one-off games in, in, in the league. And, and what Liverpool haven't been able to do, and Ian mentioned it, you know, that the control that, that City have had of, of, of matches, Liverpool haven't been able to disrupt Manchester City's control in their own stadium. They've been able to do it at Anfield, They've been able to use momentum, the crowd, intensity, but they haven't been able to bring that game to the Etihad. And in fact, the teams that beat City at the Etihad tend to surgically counterattack them and then sit behind the ball, which isn't quite Liverpool's way of doing it. So there's a lot of reasons why it'd be daft to bet against City despite Liverpool's great momentum. And and the thing that fascinates me most is, is that... 
we so rarely get a game where it's it always feels like winner winner takes all for the the title and, and and this is this is the match and that's a really long-winded way of sort of sitting on the fence really but <laughs> i suppose i wouldn't be i suppose my money wouldn't be on liverpool winning is what i'm probably saying my money would probably be on 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 a draw or, or just about city despite how good liverpool are yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? So many people think Liverpool are on this winning charge, almost inevitable with the comeback they've had. Remember, they were 14 points behind with a couple of games in hand. Still eight points, a big gap, if you like, to, to, to real Manchester City in, and they've done it. And so for many people, it feels that like that element of, of destiny, a charge towards a title. Do you think they're favourites in this game, Ian? I'm just going to ask Johnny to, to to budge up a bit on his position on the fence because I can see <laughs> next to him. No, I I, 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 I I agree with most of those things. I I, I wouldn't make them favourites, uh, and you know the the the, the Etihad factor is one of those things. Um, and I just you know I, I, you would trust City to have more of the ball and 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 to use it wisely. And neither of these coaches would ever think in terms of a point but somewhere in the back of the mind is that in clearly in the short term a, a draw is is better for city than it is is for liverpool um so i if i had to predict a result i would say it's going to be a draw you see that's an interesting one because there's a part of me that feels like manchester city have to win to guarantee the title i actually think they need the way that liverpool have been on a charge if it stays at a one-point gap, I think Liverpool will win the title. I think there, there will be another error, if you like, on the way from Manchester City, more likely than Liverpool. I actually think if the game's drawn, of course they won't feel like it's there as if they've won the game, but it will certainly feel, of course it will, a hell of a lot more possible than if they lose it. And I think City, I think City need to send that message. A four-point gap, we will all reflect on, on Monday, I'm sure, and say... That's it. They're not going to catch City now. They're not going to make two mistakes. They're not going to have two errors between here and the end of the season. So I think Liverpool need to win. I don't know if that necessarily makes them favourites because, of course, if, you are, if you're open, if you attack, then you leave spaces for Manchester City to exploit. Um, but I do feel like there's nothing to lose for Liverpool. And they need to attack. They need to bring that rock and roll football, that chaos that I mentioned a little bit earlier on, because I think that is their their best way of, of beating Manchester City. Do you think they'll go for it, Ian? Yeah, I think Liverpool will go for it. I, you know, there's, we don't often see Liverpool not going for it these days, do we? You know, it's uh, they are they are a, they are a wonderful side, um, and the momentum given them by a very good winter signing, IEDS, as I think has, has has helped that. And you know, there's a there's a great belief in in the different attacking options they have. And they're playing with huge confidence. Um, I, I, yeah, I think they will go for it. But, you know, I, I, I think City would trust themselves to, to be able to, 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 have, to have enough control uh, to bear this and, and, you know, and to deal with it. Uh, do you think they'll go for it, Johnny? I think they have to. They have to, at some point, disrupt City uh, and 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 try and un unbalance them in, in the way that they have been able to do in 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 home games. How they do that, I guess, there's a without Diaz, there's a question mark about City defensively for sure. And Luis Diaz is a new factor in this fixture. So if they're gonna have if they're gonna have joy, it, it, it's clearly gonna be using that forward power and. 
and getting at that defence. But I would suggest that that it, it, it you know it, it would it would it would still need an element of luck. But maybe these teams are so good that you know any, any, anyone anyone who wins is going to get a little element of luck as well to to to, to get through it. It's not, it, it, you know, Liverpool, of course, it's very, very possible for Liverpool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of go around the houses again and again. <laughs> probably say it'll come down to what happens on the day, and it's just, it's a really tight one. But that, that is the truth of it. That's why it's such a brilliant fixture. It's such a we will be tuning in without any real idea of, of what's about to un, unfold. And that, when you know that and you got that, that, that tells you you're, you're watching a, a proper, proper showdown, a proper Super Sunday when it's like anything could happen. Yes, peak Barclays is how the kids, I think, uh, uh, define it. Given the gap I mentioned a little bit earlier on, if City don't win the title, how big a failure is that? Is it a failure at all? You guys decide. Jonathan Northcroft. <laughs> I thought the F-word was Foden, actually. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, yes, probably. To, to I, I know Liverpool had games in hand, but, you, you, but City were in a great position. And 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 yes, they, yes, they 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 should they they should win this league given where they they were, and they still should win it given where things stand in the table. And and because I think they're more likely to win the league than the Champions League this year marginally, then you know of course a team as gifted as that would be dissatisfied if they don't win it this year. Hugh, I've, I've, your examining board is is so harsh. That it's it's hard for me to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, clearly, you know, if you if you lose the lead in a league at this stage, but I, I I would say that would that would diminish possibly Liverpool's achievement, you know, and if Liverpool go on to win it, I think we should probably celebrate one of the great teams of the of, of the year if they do. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure Guardiola would regard it as a failure if the, if he doesn't win the league from here. I'll decide who we celebrate, Ian Hawkey. Thank you very much. Um, no, listen I, I, listen, I have gone with both ends of the spectrum, polar opposites, if you like. I want to polarise people. I want them to think, okay, that's my job. You guys, you sit on the fence, you sit in the middle, you know, and, and you have the lovely reputations. I'll take the abuse from the fans uh, after the podcast, no less. Um, listen, we will react to everything that happens at the Etihad this weekend. It will be brilliant, I'm sure, on Monday's podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying the game, make sure you like us, rate us, leave us a review. Make sure you are subscribed as well. Okay, more still to come. We'll look at the bottom of the table next. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code SUMMER. 
Well, there's a huge game for Burnley at the bottom this weekend as they visit Norwich, looking for back-to-back wins in the Premier League after a thrilling 3-2 victory over Everton. Burnley are now just a point behind Frank Lampard's side, who are just outside the drop zone with nine games to go. Johnny, I have to ask... Do Burnley have what it takes to get themselves out of it? Burnley, I've, I've always had what it what it takes. The question has been, you know, can they dredge up all that Burnliness yet again with the same group of players, given they're all now about forty years old? But but yeah, they've got they've they've got it. They've got the the minerals, as they say, uh, and they've got you know ways of scoring goals. They've rediscovered them after a bad run. Um, you know, the, the Max Cornet being back and back on form. Is, is massive for them, um, and they've got they've got you know fixtures that they'll they'll think are winnable. I, I think Burnley. I might have said this before. I think Burnley will set a par, maybe a kind of mid thirty points, thirty three points or something like that, that. That others will have to get above. I don't think Watford are out of it either. I think last night's results brought Watford back into the mix, and they've got uh, they were good against Liverpool, and they've got real firepower at the top of the pitch. They haven't quite been solid, but they've got the ability to win games. And, and one of the, you know, I think Sky said it was a chilling night for Everton. It was a chilling night. Chilling because Burnley are right back in and, and chilling because Watford are. Uh, Everton are going to have to find, I think, three wins, four wins to, to survive. And I think Frank Lampard's only won four of his, his games so far at that club. They are in peril. Absolutely, they are. Um, Rafa Benitez, in fact, the word Benitez was trending last night. Many people feeling um, that, that Everton wouldn't be where they are had Benitez stayed at the club. Jonathan, is that a fair reflection on, on what Frank Lampard has done so far? I mean, the thing that was being the stick last night was they wouldn't have lost that game under Benitez. And I think that's probably true. And I don't think, hand on heart, they would be in this situation with Rafa, I think he would have, he would have ground out a few more points. And the, the appointment of Lampard at the time wasn't really, he's not the guy you appoint to, for a relegation fight. They seem to be appointing him with an assumption that it would all be all right in terms of relegation. And this is a guy that's going to build for three years. And even his signings were kind of, you know, with that seemed to be with a different type of football, not relegation football in mind. So they've they they might have miscalculated very badly. You know, I'm a Rafa fan. What it shows clearly is that this there are such big problems at that club that that it wasn't all that nasty. Rafa Benitez, it was it was something much deeper to do with a, a broken culture and some pretty rubbish players. And and they're, they're just I just you know is Frank. This is this is this is this is not his specialty. This is not where he's ever been before. And it, it's almost like his, his, he's, he's on the line now as well in terms of his future, just beyond Everton. And I don't take any pleasure in saying that because he's such an appealing guy. And I do think he has abilities, uh, potential as a coach, but he is, he is coming and he's put, him, he's, put, he's put his reputation on the line now and, and we're going to see over the next few games where it goes. I got I got messages from friends last night saying, you know, we're all saying, look, Everton could go down. I think for a lot of Everton fans that I saw on social media as well, they said, for those that, that didn't believe relegation was a possibility, this is the, the moment that they have. Conceding three goals against Burnley. Um, lots remarking on sort of the manner of the goals they've been conceding of late, the calamity involved, the number of red cards they've had over the last four games, three of them 
as well um and just the feeling of a lack of control like a total free fall if you like um it is definitely sinking in for for every single everton fan if it hadn't already look i, I said to my friends who had said frank lampard definitely won't get a premier league job again if he takes Everton down. And, I, you know, he he is looked upon as one of the most fortunate coaches in terms of, you know, getting the Chelsea job after his stint at Derby, not getting them into the Premier League. And I, I did reply, I don't think he'll get a Premier League job after this at all. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if, if people feel like, I know you said it, Jonathan, that he has something about him. But um, it's the manner of, for me, it's almost like a, a lack of self-awareness. You know, the approach to Everton is almost like they are an elite force. Um, the idea that you just get the ball down, there's qu- it keeps talking about the quality in the squad. It's clearly not there. And trying to play football when, you know, maybe a Sam Allardyce, as much as people like him are d- derided, you know, that sort of approach might have done them a little bit better. Ian, what do you think about Frank Lampard and his future if things don't go right? You made the, the good point about about the manner of, of the goals they're, they're conceding at the moment. That's that's a real finger pointer, isn't it, for for a coach and, and, and a finger that can easily be pointed. I'm not, you know, would a Rafa Benitez team concede the sort of goals they did against Burnley? Typically, probably not. Um, I, yes, I, I, I think... Well, it's possible that Frank Lampard's next route to a Premier League club, if he doesn't last at Everton, would would might have to be bringing a club up from the Championship. His his managerial career sort of soared initially because he did he did a good job at, at Derby County. So, you know, there's, who's to say that he wouldn't be able to do a similar thing again? The people who run and own Premier League clubs are pretty ruthless about about a young manager's record and yeah it, it, it would be if Everton go down it would be hard to see how how Frank Lampard would be appointed by a Premier League club that was already in the Premier League in the future. I think one of the things about Everton from here on out as well Johnny is their fixtures um, even if you just look at the next four Manchester United, Leicester, Liverpool and Chelsea still they have another game against Leicester to come this season but the, 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 I guess the fans will say Games away at Watford, home to Brentford are the games that they need to to really eye their points from. They also host Crystal Palace in their penultimate game before a trip to Arsenal on the final day. But it is definitely the worst running out of every single team. And I think that is one of the reasons that it also seems like disaster is on the way. Um, do you, where, do you, where do you see them picking up points this season? Exactly. The, 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 you, you have to look at the home games. Uh, Goodison Park is, is a powerful, powerful tool for them. And they've they've been they've been okay at Goodison under Lampard. They've they've, they've just been hopeless away, and they were they weren't doing well away from home under Benitez. So you look at the home fixtures. I actually think you look at Saturday. You look at playing Manchester United as as as, as almost being critical because it is the kind of game Everton can win. It, Man United aren't good. We, we at the moment we know, and it's it's got those ingredients: the lunchtime kickoff. Uh, Goodison, when there's a big visitor in town, is a special place. Um, and and I, I think that's an opportunity. Otherwise, you know, yeah, it's it's the home games, but yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's a difficult way because the, maybe the best two fixtures are the last two, but by that point, they could be in such a bad position that they'll, you know, you, you want those fixtures earlier, the, the Watford and, and the Brentford. 
And just to, just to sort of clarify on, on Lampard and, and kind of bring it around to this, the reason I, 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 I like, I, I think he's got something as a coach is because of the work he's done in building uh, and in terms of developing. That's what attracted me at Chelsea. He developed at Derby, as Ian said, played nice football, put them close. It was that first phase at Chelsea, I thought this guy's got something. When he brought in the, the likes of Reese James and, 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 and Abraham, and and was doing you know great things with the younger players. Pulisic was starting to blossom, and was encouraging young players to express themselves. But what he lacked at Chelsea was pragmatism, and it caught up with them with the, the the number of goals they conceded. And what he's lacked at Everton has been pragmatism with the signings he made with El Ghazi and Deli Ali and Van der Beek as as his as his kind of get out of relegation signings. They're not the right signings. And the way he's tried to play, the way he's tried to be open from the start. And to get through this running now, he's going to need some hard-headedness. He's going to need some sort of pragmatic approach to, to, to win a couple of games. And that's what, that's what I mean about him being on the line. And if he can't show that for all his idealism and ability to be positive and develop youngsters, he will, he will not get these jobs. All he's got to do is play a five-five-zero. Um, look at Diego Simeone, and um, and that's your your recipe for success. Um, look, he's a record breaker, by the way. I should say this uh, for the first time in Premier League history: an away side scored two penalties during the opening forty-five minutes of a match. We know Richarlison scored them both, so there you go. No Premier League manager has ever managed what Everton managed away at Burnley this week. Look, before we go, gentlemen, I did want to talk to you about a few games that are coming up tonight. So if you're listening and it's Friday or beyond, apologies, because we never really get a chance to reflect on the Europa League. Not too much to say other than to talk about the quality of the ties. I love this competition so far this season because it has thrown up exactly what European football is all about. I don't know if you've seen the news about how the Champions League will be changed in the future, but there will be a couple of spots there based on historical performance and a club's coefficient, which basically should mean that that Spain and England probably get five teams every year. Lots of people saying it was a bit of a backdoor, a bit of a, um, a gift for those teams that would have broken away for the Super League. I didn't like it, and I think most fans didn't like it, but we'll see how it works out. Again, you never really get to say these things as a, as a supporter. But the Europa League has been brilliant this year. These are the ties. RB Leipzig taking on Atalanta, which I think could easily be a knockout game in the Champions League. West Ham against Lyon. I'll be on my way there after this. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Eintracht Frankfurt against Barcelona and Braga against Rangers. Um, so listen, Johnny, we spoke about the old firm a little bit earlier on this week, but Rangers under Giovan Bronckhorst have a an opportunity to go one better than last year and it's a decent tie against Braga as well how much would it mean for their season if they can make it through oh, it'd be amazing and it's been amazing what they've done not just this year but over the last couple of years in, in Europe they played well initially in that old firm game at the weekend they're beginning to look like a slightly different team under Van Bronckhurst and maybe need a bit of a cutting edge as a thing but they can get through that tie and it would be you know, as a Scot, you always think about the coefficient. It's a uh, it's a big thing north of the border, so it'd be great, great if they if they did. I think I think they will. I think they will. I love Alfredo Morelos because of his spikiness. I know a lot of people think it's a negative. He's out until the end of the season, though. So, how do you think that affects them? Because you mentioned the cutting edge. Yeah, I mean, came on roof, great. You know, sort of line leader and all that sort of stuff. Not prolific. 
Um, it is their worry. They um, will hope that Aaron Ramsey can can deliver uh, again because he can he can arrive and score, um, and maybe it might be a couple of set pieces bundled in the Ibrox um, or something like that. But yeah, that, that, yeah, Morelos is Morelos is is, is is a big loss, and um, they'll have to find a solution. The winner of Braga Rangers plays RB Leipzig or Atalanta. Is the other part of the draw though that I want to talk about next? Barcelona going to Eintracht Frankfurt today. Um, uh, they are the favourites for many people. Um, they've been linked once again with some incredible players. Ian uh, Robert Lewandowski, I think, is the latest. Um, whether that happens or not, I, I'm not sure. But there you go. Do they have to win this competition under Xavi? Because it's been a remarkable turnaround. It would be a, a, a excellent endorsement of all the very good things that, that Xavi has done. Um, and, and actually, all the clever things that they managed in the January transfer window. Aubameyang has been an excellent signing. Uh, Ferran Torres has been very effective. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's fair... To, to make them favourites, and not just on the on, on the basis of their name, you know, they've they've been really potent recently. But you know, Eintracht Frankfurt are also quite potent and have been good in this competition in recent years. So you know, but I think this, Barcelona are going to come across a level of opposition that um, you know is better than what they what they face most weekends. Uh, so I'm interested in that, and also, I, I, you know, I, I I genuinely think that that West Ham United have a real chance of winning the Europa League. Well, I am really excited to go to the London Stadium because their game against Sevilla at the London Stadium may have been the moment for the London Stadium. Yes, forget Super Saturday. The West Ham fans have finally accepted it as their home after that performance because the energy was incredible um, in in the Olympic Park. Um and I want to go there tonight and experience that again because they, they will need that West Ham United if they're to go through. Again, they could play Barcelona or Eintracht Frankfurt next. They are hosting Lyon tonight. Um, do they, Jonathan, just final word on this, do they need their fans? Do they need this place, London Stadium, to become a fortress, to be that great side that, that many of them think they can be in the coming years? Yeah, they do. They do. It's it, it's it's a, it's a, it's part of the vibe, isn't it? The, the, you know, Moyes created it to Everton, and the way that team plays is about effort. It's about you know in intensity. It's it's about you know Michael Antonio charging off on a, on, a, on what looks like a lost cause, and then suddenly finding his way in the box, and um, you know get squaring it to Jared Bowen and getting an unlikely goal, and and that kind of underdog uh, buccaneering adventuring thing. And you need your crowd with you for that. Um, they've harnessed it this year. Uh, that's been a, a reason for for West Ham's um, kind of progress. And those guys, I mean, those players have played so many games. They've 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 not let tiredness affect them. But they need that. They do need that bit of synergy, energy with with the crowd. Um, and this, you can see, Hugh, you're right. That's a, that's a VIA game. If you'd said that that's what the London Stadium will look like for West Ham. If you said that even two years ago, you'd be going, nah, nah that's, 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 that's not the London Stadium. But it's amazing what this, this, this team that's got a real connection with its fans has, has been able to, to affect. And I, I'm envious that you're going tonight. Uh, I'll certainly be watching, but I think it'd be a brilliant one to be at. 
Yeah, looking forward to it. In fact, I'll bring it up on Monday, shall I? The first-hand experience of the London Stadium in Europe, in a European quarterfinal, no less. Um, gentlemen, Jonathan Northcroft, Ian Hawkey, thank you so much for joining me today. Big weekend on the way, of course. We'll re- react to all of that on Monday as well. But thank you all for listening. Remember, if you're enjoying the Times or the Sunday Times, make sure you're signed up and subscribed. And if you do so today, you will get yourself one month free. So check it out. It's the times.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend.